Welcome to the Blockchain VC, a podcast about crypto and the digital assets ecosystem. My name is Tomer Federman, and I'm the managing partner at Federman Capital. We invest in the most promising blockchain startups across the globe. I have more than 15 years of experience in tech, and before starting the fund, I was on the product side at Facebook, where I led product strategy and global growth of some of Facebook's major ad products. Previously, I also lived in Silicon Valley for a few years, where I attended Stanford Business School. You can find me on Twitter at Tomer Federman. Before we begin, please note that this podcast is for informational purposes only. And all the opinions expressed on this show, either by guests or me, do not reflect the opinions of Federman Capital. Nothing on the Blockchain VC podcast represents an investment or financial advice. Please, do your own research. Also, if you like this episode of the Blockchain VC and want to help bring more awareness to the space, I'd really appreciate it if you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. This only takes a few seconds and helps get the word out. Okay, let's do this. Really excited to welcome to the show today, Alex Adelman, co-founder and CEO of Lolly. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So before we dive into Lolly, would love to learn more, Alex, about your background and how you got into the crypto space. Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, started, uh, I've been building companies for, for a while now, building technology since I was around 12. Uh, started with like uh, building video games uh, back in the day and then realized I could build um, uh, more like front-end projects and then back-end projects. And then uh, I've just been building software for, for a long time now. Um, I was always fascinated with with commerce uh, and payments um, being a, you know a medium of exchange, um, and always sort of found uh, frustration uh, when I was like sending payments overseas or working with uh, anyone um, in in different countries um, around like the current payment uh, infrastructure that was in place and sort of uh, us being beholden to the banks and. Being beholden to you know country uh, regulations and all that good stuff, when I just wanted to move money to people that I was communicating with online, um, I ended up uh, studying economics at Chapel Hill, UNC Chapel Hill, and uh, getting really interested in microfinance and um, and and sort of the advancements there with uh, things like the Grameen Bank going on in you know Bangladesh uh, and really all over the world. And, uh, and so after college, uh, I, was, I wanted to solve this problem of connecting commerce. How do you give everyone in the world the ability to buy and sell anywhere? So I started this company called Cosmic, and we built this e-commerce gateway that let people buy and sell anywhere. Um, and we ended up growing the company um, over the uh, next four and a half years and ended up getting acquired uh, by our biggest customer, which was Pop Sugar. Um, to come in and power 1.2 billion in, in retail revenue, um, we grew significantly post acquisition, and then we were acquired by, again by an even bigger company called Ebates Rakuten, and uh, that's the biggest cashback company in the U.S. and in I think in many parts of the world. So uh, we ended up working there, getting to know the cashback rewards. When was that, Alex? Uh, that was in 2000. We were acquired the first time in 2015 and acquired the second time in 2017 by Rakuten. Ah, got it. Okay, cool. And yeah, so uh, after about a year, uh, we parted ways and the team and I uh, went, you know, we took some time off and uh, we, we started looking at what was the, the next problem that we wanted to solve. And being deep in the payments uh, payment space over the last you know the, the prior seven years, um, we were really I think you know frustrated with I think a lot of the um, the I would say the archaic rails is probably the best way to describe it that were in place to move money around from a consumer's perspective from a from an enterprise perspective uh, just moving money is very difficult very expensive uh, and there's just taxes in place at every point you turn because you always have to pay you know, a series of middlemen uh, that are taking unnecessary, in my opinion, unnecessary fees at every point. So uh, five years prior uh, to, you know, this, this time, we had all learned about Bitcoin and, and just, you know, we created a Slack channel and we were like, uh, you know, we were all very interested in this, this idea that, that it was the first asset in the entire world that everybody could own. And oh, every, anyone that with an internet connection could go on buy it, move it, 
trade it, anything uh, for very low transaction costs. And, and that to me was just like incredible. I hadn't seen anything like it since I was like 12 and was first playing around with like games and the internet. Um, and so I was really inspired by it. My whole team was very inspired by it. And we actually tried to implement it into our last company uh, and talk to a lot of merchants around it. But um, we're very, we're, we're, I, I, was, I was surprised with how few merchants were interested. So I had a lot of learnings around um, merchant adoption about five, six years ago. And merchants just really weren't interested in many of the aspects about Bitcoin. Um, it was highly volatile. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, you know, there weren't enough people that had it. And so it just never made sense for a lot of merchants to accept it. And on the consumer side, people didn't really want to spend it and they still don't really want to spend it. So we, I, I think I, I sort of took those learnings. We never really applied it to the cosmic business model. And, you know, fast forward to working at Ebates, the biggest cashback company in the U.S., and seeing the rewards model from the inside of, uh, you know, the belly of the beast, as they say, um, we got to see of like, okay, there's people that want rewards. Um, rewards are a great way of distributing cash to people. How do we distribute Bitcoin to people solving arguably Bitcoin's biggest problem, which is distribution, and make Bitcoin more accessible to everybody, have a real use case for how people are actually using Bitcoin on a daily basis and solve that problem based on our expertise. So the same core team that worked together on your previous startup, the same core team is the one you're working with right now on Lolly. Yes, exactly. Got it. And it seems like you saw the potential and the opportunities with Bitcoin fairly early on. If you say like five years before that, you've already started thinking about that. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I clearly wish I had invested <laughs> more than I did, but I, I also didn't have any money back then. I was like bootstrapping a startup and um, right. yeah, but um, I, yeah, I, I believed in the technology and the principles of Bitcoin early on. And I, uh, I, am, I mean, to this day, I'm a huge believer in, in Bitcoin as, and its potential and, and already, you know, what good it's done for the world and what will do, it will do the for the world and also realizing how early it is in the space. Um, like we're, it's like day one of, of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, digital, you know, digital currency. And it takes, it takes time to, uh, to do anything as, as massive as, as Bitcoin is doing right now. And other cryptocurrencies are probably going to do in the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, funny. I think sometimes for those of us who are so deep in the weeds, I just had a conversation yesterday with another investor and he asked me if I think it's too late to get into <laughs> Bitcoin, right? Because he's like, yeah. oh, I mean, it's like at this point, you know, it's I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, we yeah. barely started scratching the surface. Exactly. And, it, and, and I think like you, you, you and I probably agree, it's, it's inevitable. Like, there's no way that in 10 to 15 years, we're using the archaic rails that we were using uh, you know, the same archaic rails that we were using 30 years ago. Like it's, it's actually insane to me that it hasn't, um, that we haven't evolved, you know, with the, with the age of the internet uh, over the last 20 years that, that payments have, are still working on the same archaic rails as they were 30 years ago. Uh, so the world needs new rails. Uh, it's getting too expensive um, to run these companies. And there's too much pressure on, on a lot of these like fintech, uh, companies, social, uh, you know, media companies moving money and is just too difficult and there's too much tension. Uh, and so there, there is a call, there's, there's a, there's enough of a demand, uh, at this point to drive moving money and cost and, and middlemen down to zero. Um, and cryptocurrencies do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one aspect of it is just the cost, right? Mm -hmm. But the other aspect is just the speed, especially when you're thinking about like cross-border payments. It's just so painful right now when you use like the, you know, legacy financial system to move money from one country to the other, right? It could take days, not to mention like yeah, the cost that you just mentioned. Yeah, and <laughs> the, the, the thing that I... I laugh about it, but it's quite painful when you go through it, right? The, 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 the most annoying thing is actually when you move large amounts of money cross-border, and then you call the bank and you ask like two, three days later, you still haven't received the money in the, in the other account. 
and they don't know where the money is, right? It's like, yeah. what's going on? Like, I sent it like three days ago, still hasn't arrived. And they're, they're not sure because you have all these intermediary banks and all these third parties involved. Exactly. It, it's, it's just, and it's also like, um, we have never lived in, in such a global uh, world where there's, there, there, I would love to see like a graph of like how many more like commerce connections there are across the entire world than there were 20 years ago. Like companies have all, you know, there are plenty of multinational companies that have done business together uh, for many years, but as an individual, we're consuming content all over the world. We're buying things all over the world. We're it's, it, we live, we're global citizens and we don't have a currency or reserve store of value that supports that global like globalization that the internet has brought us. Yeah. I mean, we, we have one, but it's the same one that we had yeah. like 50 years ago, right? It right. hasn't changed whatsoever. I mean, yes, we now have a mobile app for our bank, but once you make a transaction, it works exactly the same on the back end. It takes the exact same amount of time. The fees are pretty much the same. The whole process basically works the same. It's nuts. So what is Lolly, Alex? Would love to hear more about what you're working on. Uh, yeah, so, so Lolly is a Bitcoin rewards app, uh, Bitcoin rewards company more so. Uh, and we give people free Bitcoin when they shop online. Um, we partner with uh, over 750 top merchants, and when our users shop the, their sites, uh, they get Bitcoin back uh, for all for all their purchases, for their travel. Um, and yeah, we make it really simple for people to earn Bitcoin uh, so that they don't have to invest in it as a way to get it involved in the space. Right. So to make sure that... Uh... Our listeners, I understand. So you install an, an extension, right? Well, basically like a browser extension. Then once you shop online, basically you get rewards in the form of Bitcoin. Correct. Yeah, it's a, it's a browser extension to start. Uh, it's live for both Chrome and Firefox. And then it's also a website uh, that you can shop on uh, as well. And we have a list of all of our partners you go on, you can sort by grocery, you can sort by essentials, travel, whatever you're looking for. And you can go to uh, go to that merchant site, you shop as you normally would, you don't have to change your behavior. And then you get Bitcoin back uh, when you shop. So how does that work exactly? Like who sends you that amount of Bitcoin? So yes, it functions very similarly to the, the company that bought my last company, uh, which is a, it's a cashback model. Um, we, we partner with these merchants and these merchants, um, they are looking for new customers and they're, they're looking to attract customers through a loyalty model. And, and so they, um, we have these, we have, you know, our users and these merchants will incentivize our users to shop their sites. So different merchants will give different percentages back, um, depending on, you know, how they're incentivizing our users. And then our users go to these sites and, and shop. Or, or book travel. I guess the point I'm curious about in the standard cashback model, I mean, all merchants have cash, or at least mm -hmm. hopefully they do. Does that, if they work with you, does that mean that they now need to buy and um, custody Bitcoin in order to be able to pay these cashbacks in the form of Bitcoin? No, and, and it's actually something that you know, I think we're, we're, I personally am very proud of is that it's a lot of people look at us as like a, a means for uh, consumer adoption of Bitcoin. Um, but I actually, I think arguably one of the more important um, parts of Lolly is that we're actually advancing merchant adoption as well. And part of the reason we're advancing merchant adoption is that we're not coming in and we're not asking them to go integrate a big payments uh, tool. We're not having to you know sell into four or five different parts of the organization. We get to come into their marketing uh, department and we're, we get to say, look, we're, we're driving new sales. Um, you know, it's a very easy integration and we're able to send you new customers when you shop. And we're also to, able to de-risk it and we don't change any of the business processes. Um, we drive sales, you know, the same as, a, as a, an Ebates or Rakuten uh, drive sales. And um, we're just incentivizing our users with, with Bitcoin instead of, instead of cash. Got it. So who actually custodies the Bitcoin? Like, how does that work? So let's say, I, I don't know if you want to give a name of one merchant that works with you. 
Um, booking.com is a great example. Yeah, but let's say booking.com. So, so booking.com doesn't necessarily or, or doesn't actually hold the Bitcoin, right? Based on no, they don't said. have to touch Bitcoin. They don't yeah. have to touch Bitcoin. Got it. Yeah. So, okay. So how does that so we, work then? We, without disclosing too much information about our, our backend uh, security processes, we, uh, we have a series of, of, uh, of uh, I'm trying to think of what I can share, what I want to share. Um, uh, so we, we, we have a series of custody solutions and OTCs that we use uh, to both buy the Bitcoin at a uh, better price than the exchanges or, or majority of the exchanges. And then we're able to uh, hold that into secure custody um, for, our, for our users until they want to transfer it out to their own Bitcoin addresses or US dollar bank accounts. And why would, from the merchant perspective, why would they want to do that? I mean, obviously, they want to incentivize shopping. There's many ways to do that, right? The more traditional ones, you know, with cash or miles and so forth. What has been kind of your selling point to these merchants in order to, I guess, both educate them about the opportunity with Bitcoin and incentivize them to start working with you guys? So it's a few things, and it really, you know, the the, the pitch sort of is tailored to the specific uh, merchant, uh, but it really depends on on uh, who the merchant is, what the, what I know that their involvement or interest is in cryptocurrency uh, in general. But we really give people, we, we give merchants the what I think is the easiest way to get involved in the space without actually having to do an integration. So for some merchants that want to get involved in in Bitcoin or crypto, uh, they they look at Lolly as like an easy, low-hanging fruit to, to do that. Um, some merchants, they don't really care about cryptocurrency, and that's fine. They just care that we are bringing them new users and users that are um, that yeah that want to shop. And and so if you look at like a lot of different rewards models, um, a lot of a lot of companies do incentives with points. Some do incentives with uh, with cashback. Some do it with gift cards. There's a lot of different incentive models out there. And a lot of the merchants are agnostic with the different incentive models. They don't quite care what people are incentivizing with. Uh, they're, they're just interested in driving sales and loyalty to those users. So we've been able to show, I mean, the cryptocurrency community, the you know, Bitcoin community specifically, is a very loyal uh, community. They want their Bitcoin. And they're loyal to that, and they will shop at the merchants that give them their Bitcoin. So uh, our, our community has been incredibly um, successful in actually getting us new merchants because uh, I, don't, I don't know if you follow us on Twitter, but we we have an incredibly active community. And when we're getting a new merchant, uh, like you know Hotels.com, for instance, or Booking.com, we've gotten a lot of them because we sh- we're like, hey, hey guys, who you know who do you want to use for travel? Like, where do you want to shop? What do you want to do? And people will tweet at them and be like, hey, join Lolly. And, and so enough, enough of our users are active enough that uh, our community is really driving adoption of our merchants. And then our merchants are driving adoption of new users because we can then market those brands to our new users. That's really exciting because I think beyond just obviously going lolly, I think you're doing a service for the whole asset class and for the whole industry by helping to bring on these merchants and educating them about the space. Thank you. I, we're we're doing our best, um, but yeah, it seems to be. It seems, there's you know because of the two sided market, um, it seems to be advancing both these sides, which is ultimately advancing Bitcoin and cryptocurrency as a whole. Right, and right now it's just Bitcoin, right? Um, yeah. So so Lolly is uh, Bitcoin only. Um, I'm personally, I I, I think the uh, the longest on Bitcoin. I think that um, you know Bitcoin is a secure store of value. Uh, it, I, I believe that it has long-term value. It already has served value to society as a whole. Um, I think that there's a lot of other cryptocurrencies out there that still have to prove their value uh, before I would feel uh, confident enough, or our community would would give us, you know, have enough demand to request these other currencies. Um, we have not had that much demand for any other currency other than Bitcoin, um, and. And really, it's like, you know, a lot of people are trying to decide between do they want cash back or do they want Bitcoin back? And that's their biggest you know decision that they have to make. I don't want a user to have to decide, do I earn Bitcoin or do I earn a, a one of a thousand different uh, currencies? So we're, we're I'm personally, you know, longest on Bitcoin. And I also think that um, our, our ultimately our community will decide what, you know, future currencies, if any, that we ever do. But 
um, yeah, I, I, we, we very much are, are run by our community and the uh, and, and what's being requested from our users. Got it. I guess the obvious question is, there's this conception that many people who buy and hold Bitcoin don't want to spend it, right? Because just like you said, right, they view it as a store of value and they'd like to hold on to it in the long run because they think it's going to appreciate in value over time. Do you, A, do you agree with that concept? And then if that is true, wouldn't it make sense to integrate some stable coins which are pegged to the US dollar and then you don't have that issue anymore? Absolutely. Uh, so that's part of our long-term plan. Um, I don't foresee people wanting to spend Bitcoin uh, for a long time. It's a, it's a store of value and it's historically gone uh, significantly up in value. So unless you believe that it's going down in value, um, it, like there's really very few reasons to actually spend it. Um, and, and, you know, altruistically, like maybe people spend it because they want to increase network activity, but that's not really an efficient um, or scalable way of like continuing to um, have Bitcoin be a pervasive uh, currency. So I, I think that like Lightning Network is making it even more efficient for you know moving um, sums of money uh, around. And I think that I, I'm very excited for like the long term um, possibility of like what Lightning will do to uh, for both moving money, buying Bitcoin, all this sort of stuff. Um, and for people who want to move money cross border and who like not not in particular for the US, but maybe other countries um, who where Bitcoin is more stable than their native currency. So I think Bitcoin uh, last I checked and, and you know, I st- can stand corrected, but and I'm sure it moves around a lot. But last I checked, Bitcoin was like the 45th most stable currency in the world. So as that number, as it becomes more stable, every currency after that would opt to use Bitcoin as their primary currency. And, you know, so play out the scenario when Bitcoin becomes a top 10 most stable currencies, then 11 through 200 will will go use hypothetically Bitcoin as a more stable store of value and medium of exchange. We are a long way uh, from Bitcoin being more or less volatile than the US dollar and a long way from Bitcoin reaching its maximum potential because if that's the future for Bitcoin, Bitcoin is going to be valued way higher because it's being used as, as a more uh, more of a reserve currency um, or re- reserve store value and a medium of exchange for other countries. So we're, we're a long way away from that uh, being the future. So in the present, I think that the, the most interesting technologies are stable coins pegged to um, top fiat currencies like the U.S. dollar, and those are going to be the most interesting. That actually give people the ability to transfer money in and out of Bitcoin um, as their store into a store like a medium of exchange for spending. Um, people are going to want to use currencies like the U.S. dollar or, or um, stable coins that are pegged to the U.S. dollar uh, in particular. Um, because that's the most stable store of value, and and uh, and really, you know, the U.S. dollar for the most part um, is a great store of value for anyone outside of the U.S. Um, because it's more stable, and the inflation, you know, is quote unquote only two percent. Um, so it's it's actually not a bad store of value for most people in the world that would like to be pegged to the U.S. dollar. Right, makes sense. So you're saying basically because people view Bitcoin as store of value, getting that as a cashback option is actually viewed very viewed very favorably. But for commerce, it probably wouldn't act as a medium of exchange anytime soon because of that volatility and stable coins actually offer that opportunity or that functionality in the short term. Exactly. So I, I think that some of the most exciting projects um just that we're looking at for the next like five to 10 years are, uh, and I'm looking out for, you know, one, um, you know, bit, uh, Bitcoin, st- uh, Bitcoin backed stable coins, US dollar backed stable coins, and the, tr- the technologies that make it uh, easy to essentially air swap between the two so that you can more seamlessly transfer from US dollar to Bitcoin uh, completely seamlessly. And securely and decentralized. So a lot of factors. Like clearly, there's a lot of stable coins out there. Um, I think the the ones that will have the most value over time are the ones that are the most decentralized and look most similar to Bitcoin. 
Do you have plans to go beyond online shopping and also extend your offering to physical stores? Absolutely. So we're building our mobile app right now that uh, we, will, we will launch in the next few months. And that's going to uh, give people the ability to um, earn in more places is the best way to probably describe the, the future experience. So I, I want people to be able to go pick up their morning coffee and earn Bitcoin, um, take a, a ride share with like Lyft or Uber and, and earn Bitcoin. Trying to make Bitcoin a part of people's everyday lives if they're not spending Bitcoin, they have to make it a part of their everyday lives. And the thing that I think a lot of people are attracted to, if you look at like coupon clippers or people who are or people who love rewards, um, they're always looking for the most rewards. And our users that joined us uh, when Bitcoin was at thirty six hundred have now uh, almost tripled their their earnings. So our average percent back is seven percent. These people effectively earned 21% on average um, back on, on their purchases on like everyday items. So as Bitcoin continues to increase uh, in value um, over time, it gives people the ability to effectively earn more on their purchases, um, on their everyday purchases. So yeah, it, it sort of has this like beautiful flywheel effect of, you know, we bring on more merchants, those those uh, we bring on more users. Those users earn more, earn more Bitcoin. Bitcoin goes up, and then we bring on more merchants and more users, and so on and so forth. So it's uh, it's, it's so far we're a year and a half in, and that flywheel effect has already you know happened many times over, uh, and it's continuing to happen more. And I think it will happen even more when we launch our our mobile app. That's awesome. And seven percent, you said, is the average. That seems really high. It is because we we. Uh, partner with them on a marketing level. We're not par- partnering with the merchants on a credit card interchange fee level that's you know much lower. Um, we're we're doing it on we're we're driving significant amounts of uh, what, what we call incremental um, revenue, incremental value to these merchants. Got it. And then when you extend to physical stores, how would how do you imagine that working exactly? Okay, so you're gonna launch a mobile app, and then what? Like I check out in the physical store and I just uh, launch the mobile app and I check out using that and then I get my Bitcoin rewards? Yeah, uh, effectively, yes. So who are the typical users? Like who uses Lolly right now? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Uh, and it's actually, I've been uh, really you know, interested too to see who these users are and, um, and what they're like. And you know, we, we collect um, absolute minimal data. So we actually don't know a ton about our users' um, Outside of surveys that we do and qualitative, um, you know, qualitatively what we're seeing on Twitter and Instagram and other channels of who's talking about us and sharing us, um, and and we, you know, clearly we don't we don't sell data or or collect any meaningful data about our users or or shopping history or anything. Uh, so not it's just not our business model, um, and you know, we're not incentivized to do so. So what we do know is that our users are about twenty to thirty years old. Um, and that it's a 70, 70% male, 30% female. And that's interesting for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I think that the, the last stat that I saw is that 4% of all crypto users are female. So we're increasing the, the amount of, um, of female users into crypto space, which I think is incredibly important to make. Uh, it's part of our mission. It's, it's how do we make Bitcoin more accessible to all? And a lot of that means making it more accessible to both genders, to people all over the world, uh, people from different socioeconomic uh, backgrounds, the unbanked, the banked. Um, how do we make Bitcoin more accessible to everybody? And seeing, you know, just in early early days that we're bringing um, women into into crypto, I think is a, is a great um, first step in, into that. Um, the other thing that we're seeing is that we're bringing a, a very young demographic into uh, the reward space uh, that is, uh, you know, way younger than the traditional demographic that was at Ebates uh, when I when I was there. It was a you know much older demographic. So um, I think that's really exciting as well. We're um, because effectively the merchants care about a younger consumer. They want they want the next generation of um, you know high high earners, high high spenders. And that's what they're optimizing for. So they're more excited about our users than they are about other rebate or or um, 
cashback um, companies because we're bringing in this millennial audience. We're also able to attract merchants that aren't on these other these other cashback or or coupon sites. Uh, companies like Glossier or um, companies like uh, Everlane, for instance, that aren't on, on a lot of these coupon or cashback sites because they don't want to like cheapen their brand, but they do want to elevate their brand with a um, a company like ours that that is educating people on the power of cryptocurrency, empowering this next generation of um, you know financial literate uh, people uh, that are going to learn about you know cryptocurrency. They're way more interested in bringing those users on, uh, those customers on than they are people who are not as savvy. Yeah, makes sense. That's really exciting. And then do you need, do you find that you and the team are spending a lot of time educating merchants about Bitcoin or you don't really need to do that because they don't really care. They just see it as another way to incentivize their users or their clients to, to shop. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I kind of leave it up to the merchant. Some merchants are super curious and are more interested in the, the crypto aspect of it and getting involved in that space. Um, they're kind of using it as I think as a testing tool to see uh, what the demand is. And we're, we're driving you know millions and millions and millions of dollars of revenue for these merchants, and thus we have leverage with the merchants to 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 drive real change with them and to have real influence there. So because of that, um, I, I think that. Some merchants, like, you know, when they joined us, they didn't care about crypto. And now because they've seen how much revenue we've driven them, now it's like, you know, money talks and, and they are, are interested in, um, you know, expanding the program and they're interested in learning more. So, you know, I, I always send our merchants the Bitcoin standard when they're interested because I think it's a great way for people to learn about uh, what money is, how it works and everything. And it's funny how, how like, involved a lot of people are in money or commerce but don't actually know how money works and what it's backed by or not backed by in more cases so um i i'm always encouraging our our, our clients um our, our merchants to learn about money so that in five years when i go bring them uh you know this stable coin or i bring them uh bitcoin you know with lightning network and i say this is a more efficient way of transferring money um, you know, this is a great tool for you to accept uh, cryptocurrency and remove chargebacks, remove fraud. Um, this is better money. Like they're more um, apt to to do that, to accept that because they have an incentive to do so. Absolutely. And by the way, for listeners who may not be familiar with it, uh, the Bitcoin Standard is a book about Bitcoin. How much does Bitcoin going up and down, like? Uh, price swings that we see that sometimes can be quite significant in a very short period of time. How much, if at all, does that impact the adoption of Lolly? For instance, I'm wondering if, you know, when Bitcoin price goes up significantly, do you see a spike in terms of adoption and people opting to get their cash backs in Bitcoin? Yeah, there's this whole uh, meme in the space that's like, you know, uh, like buy the dip, right? Like, and, and so a lot of our users are... But it works the, exactly the other way around, right? With many people, like actually when Bitcoin goes up, they become interested, yeah. and they, 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 which always is just funny to see. Yeah, so there's there's two cycles. There's earn, for our, our users, it's like earn the dip, um, you know, when it goes down. And then when it's up, I think it, it drives a lot of users. Like we get a lot of like press mentions uh, in mainstream press. Like I was on... Um, uh, believe yeah, CNBC uh, the other day because Bitcoin went up twenty five percent, and so we we got to go on there and we got a ton of new users because uh, to, no, it was, I'm sorry, it's Fox Business, um, and and we got a whole new group of users and and then so Fox Business like talked about Bitcoin, talked about Lolly, and and we got to communicate Bitcoin to the masses, um, right. you know, because of that. So um, I, I think when Bitcoin goes up, people talk about it more. And we get more mentions and then there's sort of another flywheel effect of like people get involved and then, you know, we, we hope that it goes up more. But I think historically, you know, it clearly has gone up over time other than the, you know, the massive spike we saw in 2018, 2017, I believe, when it went, went up to, you know, 19K. Um, you know, I think other than that, like we've, we've seen like most people that have gotten into Bitcoin at most moments, uh, Bitcoin has gone up for them. So most people 
that are earning with Lolly, Bitcoin has gone up from 3,600, you know, to, um, you know, up to 9K. And most people have like been rewarded, you know, even more so for, for earning, uh, earning Bitcoin over cash. Right. And how do you think about differentiating your offering, right? There are other Bitcoin rewards um, options out there like Fold and so forth. How do you stand out? Um, I, well, I mean, I think we're, you know, we're, we're very focused on, on Bitcoin. We've built a great community. Um, I, I personally, like, I, you know, I, I, I'll just brag on my team for a second. But, you know, our, our background is in, is in payments, uh, infrastructure, uh, we built a really powerful technology with our last company, um, and, and you know it was it was uh, really incredible technology. I, I think that uh, you know we're building it with the same team, um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm really worried about other people coming into the space. Uh, and really, I mean, anyone who does, it's you know it's good for Bitcoin adoption. I mean, I wouldn't want to compete with us. I think we have like a a, a set of expertise around cashback rewards. Uh, we have a set of our expertise around payments, um, and I, you know, I think we just have the, road, the, the clearest roadmap um, and team to to execute on it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've had like several copycats that have come out, and many of them have failed already because they don't understand how the the model works, either from the merchant side or they don't understand how the model works from a fraud detection standpoint. Like um, a lot of people don't realize this, but like a lot of rewards companies are highly advanced um, fraud detectors. Like there's a lot of fraud that comes with any rewards business. And if you can't detect fraud in the early days, your business model is absolutely crushed. So we built that, you know, day one. Um, and so, yeah, uh, you know, we're like it, 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 like businesses, especially startups are broken by um, fraud. So um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, we're, we're executing really well. Part of it is because we've been building in the space for the last seven, eight years. And what's your vision for like what's next for you guys? We talked about extending your offering beyond online shopping. Anything else that you can share that uh, you're excited about? Um, the mobile app's the most exciting piece, um, in, in my opinion, and then going international. So uh, we're expanding international this year uh, with a few test markets, and then we're also launching the mobile app in the next few months, uh, which we're also really excited about to both increase uh, the touch points. Uh, the merchant adoption piece for more uh, merchants that are native, uh, mobile native, um, and those are the those are the two pieces that we're expanding uh, most rapidly. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, for the long term, um, I'm very excited about more tools that are going to improve on um, on new rails uh, that are going to improve payment systems, improve transactions, stores of value, medium of exchange. Uh, I mean, this whole this whole world is going to look so different in five to ten years. It already looks different from the last five years. So um, yeah, there's a lot of exciting things even outside of outside of Lolly that um, you know we hope to leverage and use. Yeah, absolutely. I know you raised funding uh, slightly more than a year ago, right? And one of the things I'm curious about is some of your investors weren't necessarily crypto dedicated funds; they were mm-hmm. more traditional VCs. How did you get them on board? Can you share some for entrepreneurs who are listening and maybe thinking about their fundraising process? Can you share some best practices or thoughts about how to approach the fundraising process that you found helpful when you went through that? Yeah, great question. Um, so yeah, for any any founders out there, I think, you know, I, I, you have to play the long game. Um, most, I think, <laughs> I think most, if not all, all of our investors, um, they turned us down for our last company. They weren't interested in investing in, in Cosmic. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So Amazing. And now they decided to invest in this one. Right. So I, 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 mean, I mean, almost always, I, I, I always challenge myself to play the long game in, in almost everything I do. And one of those things was, was fundraising. And I, I always found it extremely challenging to fundraise, with, even with our last company. Um, and... It, it was it was difficult to convince a group of investors that we were building something of value and to fit the you know traditional VC economics which is you know 10x returns so it's difficult to, to do that um, especially as a first-time founder uh, with our last company and and so um, I built a lot of these relationships I never got mad when when uh, VCs would tell us no I would I would you know very much disagree but 
Uh, I never burned any bridges uh, and built a lot of these relationships over the last like seven, eight years so that when I was starting a new company, um, they trusted me that I, you know, I returned money for our last, you know, last company. I built something of value. I proved a lot of people wrong. And, and so, you know, with some, some of these investors, um, they were more investing in the team and, and less in the, you know, the Bitcoin aspect of it. Um, they, some of them, you know, I think had never, I think a lot of our investors had never invested in a Bitcoin company before, but brought unique expertise or networks that, um, I think that they were really interested in being like, um, being like knowing that they could add value. Uh, Forerunner Ventures is a, is a great example. Forerunner has invested in like a hundred of the top consumer uh, companies, many retailers, and they have a whole network of, of incredible retailers, um, like millennial focused merchants that we want to partner with. So they, I think they saw it, uh, and I, I don't want to like put words in their mouth, but like, I, I think they saw it as a unique way to invest in, you know, arguably the most consumer friendly Bitcoin company, which fits their thesis being a consumer investor, but also, um, like add value immediately to us by introducing us to their portfolio companies and giving their portfolio companies a unique angle to um, reach more people, re- you know, reach this millennial consumer. And so they saw sort of the synergistic effects uh, that that would have. Um, we've also had a lot of like angels that had not invested in Bitcoin companies before, but saw um, Lolly as a way to uh, bring Bitcoin to the masses. Um, so yeah, I, I think um, part of, if you look at our syndicate, um, it was very strategic in bringing on people like DCG who have deep crypto expertise, um, people who have you know deep and, and long-term thinking with with Bitcoin as a as a store of value, um, and you know Bain Capital, uh, for instance, who has uh, a long you know standing place in the fintech world. They know everyone on the payments in the payments world, in the fintech world, uh, in the traditional finance world. Uh, they've been super helpful on, on that front. All the way to Forerunner, who is traditionally a consumer investor, uh, who's been helpful on that front. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted to create the best syndicate um, that was um, the most helpful, um, but also believed in us the long term, in, in the long term, in and could support us in future rounds as well. I really like the point that you made about thinking about the long term and playing the long game. I think more entrepreneurs should take that approach when engaging with investors. And even if it doesn't work out for the existing round of funding, oftentimes you cross paths again, whether it's you know in subsequent round of funding or in a different company later down exactly. the road. I want to ask you a couple of questions about the crypto market more broadly. But before we do that, I can't help but ask you about PayPal and their acquisition of Honey a couple of months ago for people who maybe not familiar with it, PayPal acquired this shopping and rewards platform called Honey for a reported $4 billion in November last year. What are your thoughts on that? I assume it's very positive for you guys. It shows the potential of uh, such functionality and the ability to capture value. Curious how you're thinking about that. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, I, I've known the Honey team for the last five years now. Um, and I've just been a huge fan of what they have built. Um, they built a, 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 you know, an application that really made coupons super easy to, to get. Um, I think that you know, I, I took a lot of learnings from them. I, I, um, you know, we, we actually tried to partner with them with our last company and power native commerce there. Um, we ended up getting acquired uh, before we could partner. But you know, I've stayed in touch with those, with those guys, the, that team. And, and yeah, I think that they built something of, of extreme value. And um, I think it's going to be a great long-term bet for PayPal, who, whose value is really at the point of purchase. They want to be the brand at the point of purchase, and Honey is effectively the the brand at the point of purchase that a lot of millennial consumers think about for for getting that coupon. Um, we want to be that brand that people earn Bitcoin at the point of purchase, and and ultimately pay with cryptocurrency at the point of purchase. So. Um, we've we've learned a lot from them, and we are uh, applying a lot of those learnings to the the product, um, both in the early days, in the early execution, uh, in the marketing, the uh, and and ultimately, you know, our, our um, I think what we're going to extend to with the with the mobile app will have hints of what they had with the with their web application. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people were shocked when that announcement came out about their acquisition, just the sheer size of the amount of the transaction, or I guess the acquisition was a, a shock to many people in the space. But again, it, it comes to show the value that you can create if you really execute well on the consumer front. Right. And I, I, I don't feel like, I mean, I'm not, uh, I mean, I've been in this, this space for seven, eight years now, and I was not surprised with the the price. I think I might have I might have said it was like a two to three billion dollar exit, but like I don't I don't know their exact numbers and and I don't claim to. But um, I mean I I knew that they were a multi billion dollar company. Where I think a lot of people thought they were like a couple hundred million dollar company, which was the big jump. But they created an incredible business. Like it's a it's a savvy business, and and they built a great brand. Like um, it is it is extremely valuable to a lot of different companies, not just PayPal. Like. PayPal did not just go out and say, "Hey, I want that for four billion." There was definitely a bidding process in that, uh, and and I know that Ryan five years ago uh, wanted to build a payments company. Like he he's been like he's been thinking about Honey in that way for a long time. Like they ultimately chose to um, get acquired by a payments company uh, instead of build it, um, but like it just made more sense to do that. Like I think it would be. Uh, tough to be in the position that he was in and, and see all the you know the road ahead of what they'd have to do to build a payments company and then have a company like PayPal who already has all the the pipeline or sorry the uh, the uh, the pipes already built in and and like I think it's going to be an incredible merger if they can actually execute on the the product portion of the merger. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's tough to say no to <laughs> four billion dollar check. So what are we missing when we think about consumer adoption of crypto? How do you think about that, Alex? Like, what are we missing in order to get to a point where people go to Starbucks and buy their cup of coffee using either Bitcoin or, or another cryptocurrency? What do we need that is, doesn't exist right now in order to get there? Um, I, think, uh, I think we need a, uh, a better medium of exchange. Um, I still haven't seen anything that I have been convinced that w- that is a better medium of exchange uh, and a more decentralized medium of exchange that has less uh, less middlemen, less parties involved in the process of uh, actually uh, transacting and, and uh, micropayments and, and changing like, like a value uh, or exchanging value from one, one person or one business to another person or business. Um, so there's a lot of things that have to like play out and I'm seeing hints of it, but, uh, I, I don't think I've like seen that one thing or that one, um, currency that exists yet. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen any better store value than, than Bitcoin or anything that is more decentralized than Bitcoin, um, uh, you know, emerge. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, we're keeping our ears and, and eyes open, um, for it, but I haven't seen it yet. Got it. So you don't think one of the existing stable coins might serve that purpose? They might. Um, I, I think that they have a ways to go to um, further decentralize. And a lot of these stable coins uh, are probably like many years away from from wanting to you know fully decentralize because the activity that they need and the staking that they need to fully decentralize are we're, we're probably a ways off. Like like some of the most decentralized uh, stable coins right now are decentralized by means of um, of, you know, uh, VCs or investors, you know, being like making up, um, a hundred or, you know, probably more, more, so more cases like 10 different, um, you know, backers. Um, you know, we need thousands and thousands and thousands of, of, um, you know, sizable, uh, stakers that are making it more decentralized than it currently is so that it's not reliant on a few, you know, a few parties you know, pulling out or making it uh, virtually worthless. Um, I think that Libra is a very interesting project. Um, I'm, you know, I'm paying attention to it. Uh, I don't know if just historically Facebook hasn't really been a very trustworthy uh, institution. And, and so I am very skeptical, but in theory, if they were good actors um, and they truly wanted something that, that was, you know, going to solve real problems, they would further decentralize their technology. Uh, they would open source it. They would just, you know, give it out to everybody so that more people transact. I don't think, uh, 
if I were to make a bet right now, I don't know if like seeing how they want to own everything and seeing how um, they've you know cannibalized certain products that they've had um, and seeing some of their stances on privacy. I just don't know if they really want to do build what actually is the real need. Um, and they might just be building a shittier version of the current um, rails that we have. So yeah, I, I think that they have the biggest potential because of the reach that they have, but they also haven't shown um, in many ways that they're able uh, or willing to build something that is like truly open source and truly decentralized because they are a public company that wants to own everything. So um, I think like Square is probably the most interesting public company um, that's doing the most for Bitcoin and probably will do the most for um, a a stable coin if they ever were to launch one. Yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how Libra plays out. I think the challenge they have there is, like you said, right from a regulatory perspective, I think uh, that that's a challenge. So it's it's interesting to see how that's going to evolve. I mean, the distribution that Facebook has, nobody really does have. So I think if they are successful in launching it, it could have a huge impact, not just on Facebook and their partners, but also on the industry as a whole. So we'll see how that evolves. Any specific beyond obviously lolly any specific either companies or trends in the crypto space that you're excited about that you're monitoring closely i'm really excited about lightning network um i I just i think it's like a really strong team it's a really interesting uh project to make you know bitcoin more efficient as opposed to launching a new currency um any sort of currencies that are being launched that are uh trying to be a more uh, a, a store of value and they don't have an execution plan on distribute and distribution, um, I think are flawed. So it, I'm all for, you know, sure. Like people should go out and try, uh, we should always try to improve, but Bitcoin, uh, has, and probably will be for the foreseeable future, the best store of value, um, as far in safe, decentralized store of value, um, for the masses, um, the lightning, lightning making Bitcoin more efficient, uh, is really is really exciting. Uh, I think Bitcoin Pay Server of making um, you know Bitcoin payments on Lightning Network um, easy to set up. I, I think like the world needs a Stripe or a um, or a Shopify to exist to make to make the world easier or to make Bitcoin easier to transfer. And people need. Um, I mean, th- like like I was saying, the the current everybody who's reliant on currencies forty six through 200 is your target market. If you want to bank the unbanked, if you want to be the strike for the unbanked, if you want to build that future ecosystem, like there's your opportunity. That's what, that's the market that you should be going after. Um, and that number is going to get, that market's going to continue to grow the more stable Bitcoin becomes over time. Um, so yeah, Bitcoin pay server is fascinating to me. They're doing a great job um, and, you know, completely open source, uh, Lightning Network is really exciting. They're doing a great job. Square Crypto doing a great job. Uh, those are some of the most exciting projects that come to mind. Um, I think Casa is super interesting with just uh, custody solutions and um, you know uh, multi-sig um, from security, privacy. I like what they're doing, and they seem to be well-intentioned. Um, you know, just people, and um, they you know they're very concerned around privacy and security. So. Uh, there, a note in every home is a, is ambitious, but I, I like it. I think it's like net good. Um, and yeah. Yeah. The Casa team, what they're working on is really interesting. I had the Jameson uh, previously on the show and, uh, what I like about them is also the transparency. Yeah. So he was talking about, you know, how they make all these very difficult decisions about custody and then they write these, you know, like very long papers explaining exactly their decision-making process and why they chose to go a certain path rather than different one, and which is something that I, I just think is very valuable in general. A last question before we go, Alex. We spent so much time talking about Bitcoin. Curious, what's your view on Ethereum? Um, I think that Ethereum has um, a lot of work to do. Um, I still like... I. Look, like I, I mean, I I want Ethereum to 
to do great things. I think it has incredible amount of potential. Um, I, I think that it's, it, it, it like Bitcoin is in its infancy and it really hasn't figured out its killer use case yet. Um, I think ETH 2.0 uh, is something to pay attention to. Um, I, I, it's like, I, I wonder how many companies are just going to die on ETH one if, if ETH two is the future and how much more efficient it could be. Uh, I don't follow it as closely as I follow Bitcoin, but you know, I think just like every few months I'll like, you know, see what's going on in the space because, um, you know, I think it's important for us to, to keep tabs on it. Um, we like ETH as money like ETH just as like, not, 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 not talking about die or any of the stable coins that have emerged from like this D5, you know, ETH movement, but just talking about ETH as money, it doesn't quite make sense for us. So it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to create, um, you know, the, why not? Because there's no real reason people would want a stable coin right now because you could just go and earn cash back. Like, Maybe there's a very small percentage of population that would want to earn a currency peg or you know a stablecoin pegged to another currency. But then it's like, how do you? You're, I'm not trying to train a bunch of people to be forex traders. Like that's like a super complicated and probably like like you know fool's errand to go do. So you know, do I want to go give away die? Probably not. Like it doesn't. Like I don't really think anyone cares about that. Um, so I guess I was wondering about ETH specifically. So I, I get the point about stablecoins. Are, are you saying you don't see ETH as money? Correct. Um, in, in its current state. So do I want to go give all these users that have never had cryptocurrency before, If I, do I want to go give them something that is going to go then change to ETH2? Then I have to go to all of our users and say, explain this very complicated transition of like ETH1 to ETH2, what it means, why ETH1 doesn't have as much value anymore, why ETH2 it has value. Oh, you know, do you want to opt to transfer your to ETH2? Like there, the complications with that is just like, like I'm going to just like, again, going back to long-term thinking, I'll go like ETH is the ETH community has a lot to figure out. It is in its infancy. I'm not going to go like, you know, bring ETH to the masses only to have to explain to them how broken it is in its current state. And so like, I'm going to go let ETH figure itself out. It's not my problem to solve. Um, and I'm really excited for them. I really want them to figure out everything. I want them to, you know, create a better, you know, better DeFi tools, but they, you know, they need to make some big decisions over the next couple of years. And those decisions would be extremely cumbersome for me to adopt the problems that they will face by making these decisions, whatever routes that they take, that will be taxing on me as an organization. I have not had that many users that have asked for ETH. Like if I had millions of users that were like begging for ETH, I would probably like think about offering it because there's demand for it. And I don't, I, I, you know, even though like even though I believe in more Bitcoin as a longer term store of value, um, I also believe in a free market. And I would also be swayed if I had millions of users that were like demanding ETH. Show me those users. Like no one's asking for ETH right now. And like you, it, the people that know ETH are just going and buying it on exchanging and, and using it for developer work. But like, yay, I could go maybe acquire an extra thousand users that are developers that want to earn like some ETH for their purchases. It's just like not, it's not our market. It's not, it's not a business. You know, beyond the point about ETH and Bitcoin, one thing to also take away from your approach, I think for other founders listening to this is the focus, right? Yeah. What I hear talking with you is just focus, right? And Absolutely. I think, I think oftentimes it's easy Look to expand your offering and, you know, let's open up more cryptocurrencies. But I think what I hear talking with you is that focus and doubling down on what you're doing rather than trying to do like a bunch of other stuff, which might not be valuable to your users. And, and I think that's an important uh, takeaway, again, regardless of, you know, Bitcoin or ETH just in general. Exactly. And, and you know, you have as a startup and, you know, we're super early stage still, like, we have set resources. 
you know, we can go spend a lot of money and time on building into, you know, ETH if, but it's like the actual focus around Bitcoin is so much more productive and, um, has val has real long-term value. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, one of my biggest learnings from my last company, like we built a, a company that had value. We built a, a really cool technology, but we wanted, we all have a chip on our shoulder. We wanted to go way bigger. And one of my biggest learnings was focus. Like we tried to do so many different things. And what it came down to at the end of the day is like people wanted one of our products and that was the killer product. They wanted our API. And that was in hindsight, I probably should have only, I mean, granted, you don't know these things until hindsight, hindsight's 2020, but I only should have focused on the API. And if I put all of our resources into just the API, you know, we could have been bigger. We could have been uh, more pervasive. Like we wasted resources from focusing on things that probably we didn't need to focus on. So I, I think like a lot, like one of the, one of the biggest learnings with, with the last company going into this company is the, the, the need for focus and focusing on the right things and being way smarter about those things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's also what experience gives you, right? Yeah, so I mean, I have a different view on ETH and certainly more positive. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, what do, you, what do you think is going on in the space right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm much more uh, optimistic about ETH. I think, uh, yes, you're right that there's a lot to figure out in terms of ETH. 2.0 but uh, i mean listen like you look at DeFi. i mean it didn't exist two years ago mm-hmm. it was literally at zero and now you have what like give or take like 700 million dollars locked in uh, in eth across DeFi, and i think it's only the beginning and i think there's just such a clear opportunity to make more efficient financial products and even beyond financial products but when you think about financial products it's just it's so straightforward. It's the opportunity is there. I mean, legacy financial services, like we talked earlier, are so inefficient in so many different ways. So, you know, when you see some of these applications being built right now, which literally take seconds to implement and it costs like a fraction of what it would cost if you were to use uh, some of the legacy financial services, then I think there, there is definitely an opportunity there. I guess my thinking is it just fulfills a different need, right? I completely buy into the whole store of value narrative around Bitcoin. I think it's going to be huge. But I do think ETH is different in that it's more expressive. It's more flexible. You have that smart contract functionality. And I do think there's a need for it. And we already see that. We see more and more, you know, what, like 80% of the projects, maybe more, in the crypto space are being built on top of Ethereum. And so I just think it complements Bitcoin rather than compete uh, with it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I tend to be very positive, both thinking about Bitcoin and Ethereum. No, and I like how you articulated it. And I, I actually, I agree with everything you said. Um, I, I think, uh, like, like I said earlier, uh, I think we're in very early days. I think that... Um, there are so many efficiencies that we can find from from uh, DeFi uh, and things that it's already doing. Um, I haven't seen or experienced those and how it adds value to ETH as like a you know just just ETH. Um, and so I'm I'm sort of like I, I for one I'm I'm in no rush. Like I want I think that the best products in the world. I mean, look at Twitter for instance. Twitter. Is it like they clearly could have over-engineered the shit out of that? They have you know t- tens or hundreds of millions of users. Like they could have built a billion features by now. They could have built an edit button. They could have built a whole arbitration network. They could have built like a million things. But at the end of the day, like everyone uses it for one thing, and it's arguably the same thing that they downloaded it for you know ten years ago or over the last ten years. Like figuring out that one thing and doing it better than anybody and then figuring out growth from that one thing is arguably way more important. And then over time, like there will be other things that will like add value. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm in no rush to, to add ETH and I'm all ears. Like I encourage everyone from the ETH community to convince me. Um, and I am like, yeah, I would love after the call for you to send me, you know, any, any uh, literature on, um, you know, ETH to show me, you know, early signs of um, DeFi products adding value to the network as a whole and us using more 
you know, ETH to fulfill these smart contracts to do, you know, uh, these, these, um, DeFi projects at scale. Um, so yeah, I, I, that, that's what I'm waiting on. I'm just in no rush to do it. Yeah. Well, hopefully this is the first step in <laughs> convincing you about it. So Alex, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. Really appreciate you sharing your insights and very much looking forward to see what's next for Loli. Sounds like exciting times for you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're working hard over here. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode of The Blockchain VC and want to help bring more awareness to the space, I'd really appreciate it if you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. This only takes a few seconds and helps get the word out. 